Reality Church is a church striving to be biblical. We pray that this sermon would help you in your personal walk. Be blessed. Amen. In studying uh, this week, I have to admit, I have been more emotional than I've been in a long time. Uh, just meditating upon this word that that God has given through this verse and uh, seeing the, the beauty of it and the joy in it. But Thomas Watson said this, one hour in heaven will make us forget all our sorrows. As the sun dries up the water, so one beam of God's glorious face will dry up all our tears. That's beautiful. What a glorious thought by Watson. And and this is the idea and theme of the text we're going into today because Paul wants to drive home the great promise of God to those who are in Christ. So let's open our hearts and minds to to this great hope this morning. How about that? Now hear the infallible, inspired word of God. Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Let's pray. Father, We cannot thank you enough for your word that is infallible and errant. It stands the test of time. It is the rule of faith and practice in your church. So we thank you for it. We ask that you would remove the veil, that we may see a clear revelation of you in this scripture and and your attributes and your glory. God, I ask that you would open our hearts to that, that we may receive it and that we may be able to use it in our lives daily. Holy Spirit, Illuminate this text for us as we walk through it. Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a wonderful verse, okay? This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, honestly. Uh, It gives great hope to the Christian. I mean, the joy that we can take from just this one verse of Scripture is immeasurable. We can't even measure the joy within this verse if we'll dig into it. There really, to me, as I, as I was breaking it down and studying it, I, I feel that there are four main points that we can dig into in this verse and, and that I believe we can take them and, and they will help bring to us, they will bring us hope in our life. They will bring us hope and help in our times of trouble. And they will completely solidify the blessed hope that is in Christ. So let's reread the verse real quick. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I want to break this into the four pieces that I, that I see 
Paul focusing on here. The first is this. For I consider. This may just seem like a sentence starter. It's a prepositional phrase, right? For I consider. This may seem like it's just starting the sentence, but I believe that there is something that is much, much, much more important within it. Um, this isn't like when, uh, when we start a sentence, I reckon or I think it isn't a figure of speech. Paul is saying something deeper when he says, for I consider. The word consider here, when I looked it up in the Greek, it actually means, the word consider actually means to study something as if you are an accountant. I don't know how many of you have ever done accounting work. I have. There's a lot to it. So Paul is saying that he took a long, hard study of things. So if we're speaking in accounting terms, he basically reconciled the books. He got in the ledger and he reconciled the books to see if he was in the red or in the black, right? Paul was not saying, for I consider, and beginning with for I consider, he wasn't saying, you know, I think these sufferings probably aren't as bad as heaven is good. That's not what he was saying with those words and in this particular verse. No, no. It is, it, it is much more, you see. Paul has made a life out of considering these things. It's what he does. As a minister of the gospel, as a studier of the word, he has made a life out of studying these things. And in this verse, and, and beginning with the words, for I consider, he seems to speak a surety to those who are the sons of God. According to the way Paul writes this statement, he is saying that he has exhaustively studied it. He has balanced one column of suffering with the other column of glory and found that one far outmeasured the other. The way he puts it, it isn't even close. And make no mistake, Paul had quite a bit to add into the suffering column. He wasn't living the American dream like we are. Or living his best life by any stretch. No way. He went from being in the best class of folks, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, not only a Pharisee of the Pharisees, but a Roman citizen. He went from being the top class to being in a class of people that were literally hated. When they saw Christians coming into their town, they hated them. Why? Because they knew they were fixing to hear the gospel. And if they had uh, their idols set up anywhere, that those Christians were going to preach against those idols. And then those Christians were probably going to smash those idols. And it was going to wreck their way of living. So they hated them. And Paul went from being the accepted class and the class that was looked upon with, uh, you know, the ones that you look on like, yep, that's the man right there. Went from that class 
to being hated. Paul suffered many things in just the time he was a Christ follower because before that we know he was, he was accepted. He was in, in, the, in the cream of the crop. Just a few things I've listed of, of things that he suffered. He was left high and dry by a ministry partner named John Mark. They needed John Mark. They looked around. Where's John Mark? He's gone. He's left them. And then he had to part ways with his good friend Barnabas, who we know he went on missionary journeys with. He had to leave, uh, part ways with his good friend Barnabas over a disagreement about John Mark, who had left him high and dry. So he is seeing relational suffering with his friends because of the situation. He even had to argue with Peter, the fellow who preached the first gospel message about doctrine. Because Peter wanted to act one way with the Gentiles when the Jews weren't there. But when the Jews came in, he treated them like dirt and, went with, and, and sat with the Jews. So Paul said, I had to withstand him to his face. He had to argue with Peter. His preaching efforts were rejected by many. We can see it all through Scripture. Was the gospel failing with him? No, the gospel definitely wasn't failing. But I'm going to tell you this. As a preacher, sometimes you feel, if you don't get the response you want, that you've failed. And sometimes that's hard on you. So Paul endured that. He went to the Areopagus, to the place where all the geniuses, right, and all the idols. And he preached a bang-up message. And there was a few who said, we'd like to hear you more about it. And then some just... Flat rejected him. He preached the gospel to Agrippa. And Agrippa said, Paul, you almost convinced me. And then, of course, the Jews. The Jews would look at him and hear his message and say, hey, weren't you one of us? And rejected him. So he, he suffered rejection. He had to live, listen to this, this may be enough to, to, to wreck a lot of us. He had to live with the guilt of watching Stephen be murdered and, and approving of it and holding their coats so they could sling the rocks harder and, and being a chief persecutor of the church. He dealt with that in the beginning of his ministry because people were scared to death to have him come into their town because they were afraid he was going to kill them. So he's dealing with guilt as well because of that. He watched many of his fellow ministers of the gospel and his fellow apostles be killed in a martyr's death. He saw, you know, he, he lived through James. You know, James has talked about being killed in, in, in Acts. And there's so many others that are killed in Acts that he has to, to, to see happen. He's losing his fellow workers and his friends. He was arrested and tried many times. We see, we actually... Uh, read about it this morning in our Sunday school, how he was arrested and stripped naked and put in a prison with Silas. And what did they choose to do? Worship and praise God. He endured a shipwreck. He was bitten by a snake. He had an infirmity of some sort 
that made it difficult for him, which the Lord would not take away from him. He said, I prayed to the Lord three times and he wouldn't take it away. And many believe that that is actually blindness because he had to begin to start having other people write his messages, his, his epistles for him. Many think that it was blind. That's just a study. Nobody knows, but that, that's one of the speculations. Listen, they stoned him and somehow he survived. He was put in chains and brought to Rome. And his life ended when he was beheaded in Rome. That is more suffering than many of us will ever endure in a lifetime. And that's just after he came to, he, he, he was in Christ. Rejection, pain, suffering. So, how can Paul make the statement that comes after, for I consider, with all of this going on? How in the world could he even do that? Personally, I think there's another clue and another verse that he wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 17 and 18. He says, For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul's not using empty words here. I mean, again, he says it can't even be compared. To him, there is no comparison between his suffering and the eternal weight of glory, eternity with Christ. Paul looked honestly at his circumstances, I feel, based on what he has written. And I think he weighed it out. It's as if he put a, a weight, you know, the old-timey weights where you got, you know, two cups that you, you would measure the weight of things. On one side of the scale was Paul's suffering. And look, make no mistake about it, okay? These sufferings were heavy. When we suffer, it's heavy. Paul's suffering was heavy. It has weight. Definitely it has weight. But Paul relied on a resource even more reliable than his circumstances. Something that was even more real to him than all of the sufferings that he had endured. What is that? Paul knew the word of God. He knew the doctrines of Christ. He knew all that Christ taught. He knew that great glory was awaiting all those who are in Christ. And he studied on that great doctrine. He taught all kinds of other people like Timothy, like Titus. He sent powerful expositions to the churches he had established. Rome, Corinth, Galatia, Ephesus, Philippi, Colossae. 
He sent these great expositions to them. And what was he doing? He was expositing to them. He was teaching line by line the doctrines of Christ, which he knew himself and which he counted on for every piece of his life because it was his defining factor in his life. Though suffering is heavy on one side of the scales of life for Paul. Paul was able to put another weight on the other side of the scale. A massive weight of eternity. Picture in your minds this. You have a scale in front of you and you have a bunch of lead fishing weights. How many of y'all know that makes your tackle box heavier, right? When you got all them lead fishing weights because you're going catfishing, Jesse? It makes it heavier, right? Because the, the lead weights are heavy. It's as if he took a bunch of lead weights and he put them on the other side, on the side of suffering. Because yes, they're heavy. Yes, they'll, they'll tip the scale for many. But then on the other side, he took a Mack truck and threw it on the other side. It didn't even compare. This wasn't just a flippant decision on his part that, oh, well, I'll endure this because hopefully there's some great stuff ahead. No, this was not something he just, eh. This was from a lifetime of considering the word of God and the promise of God to his children. And he reconciled. He was firmly convinced just like Abraham was firmly convinced. In Romans 4, 20 and 21, it says, No unbelief, this talking of Abraham, made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Listen to this. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. He knew that God had promised eternity, the glories of heaven, the presence of God forever to his children. And he had studied it his life and he was fully convinced that through Christ he had access to that. Wonderful promise. So even a life full of suffering as Paul's was, it cannot compare to the eternity which was awaiting him. The greatness of God's promise to his children who are in Christ. Listen, the immensity of that promise is absolutely immeasurable. No matter the pain, listen, it is only for a moment compared to eternity with Christ. The next phrase that we're going to look at in this verse is suffering of this present time. So how will we suffer in this present time? We've talked about Paul suffering, but let's, let's bring ourselves into this. How, how would we suffer in this present time, especially as Christians? Uh, we may lose relationships. There are people who are not going to want to have anything to do with you because you have made God the first thing 
And they don't want to hear about it. So they may excommunicate you from their lives. We will possibly be hated. There are some people who not only will get rid of you, there are people who will hate you. Because you take stands for Christ. Because you may say something like, all life is important and we don't need to kill any of it. You may be hated. Listen. The government may one day decide we can't gather at all. Or that we have to have a special certificate like the churches in China. Who are given their doctrine by the government. And that's why there is the underground church in China. Who at any moment are watching the door to wait and see if the government officials will kick it open and arrest their pastor. There may be a moment in time when the government does that here. Why? Because guess what? This ain't the promised land. This ain't heaven. We aren't promised it. It may come here. And may I say this? The elders of this church have decided this church will meet no matter the consequence. We may endure financial hardship. How many of y'all have ever been going along, everything's great, and suddenly the job's over and you lose it? You may in this life endure financial hardship. We may get sick. You may be diagnosed with a disease. We may lose loved ones. We've seen many people we know lose loved ones to this virus. We've seen it. It's real. It's not fake. It's real. We've seen many of our loved ones go on because of things like cancer and heart disease and all of these things. We, 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 we will suffer loss in this world. No doubt. We aren't promised an escape from any of this suffering because this is what happens in this world. But it has been a part of the Christian life from the beginning. So it's not new that we're going through this. This has been a part of the Christian life from the beginning. There have, people die. Financial hardships come. Persecution comes. And Jesus even said, you will be hated because of me. He didn't pull any punches on it. He let you know what you face if you were to take up that cross daily and follow him. And when looking at this suffering of this present time, Paul goes somewhere that's very specific. His next phrase is, are not worth comparing. Are not worth comparing. So these sufferings are not worth comparing. I don't do this very often anymore. I saw a meme on Facebook. Okay? Go with me. I'm not going to preach Facebook this morning. I just want to tell you about this meme I saw, okay? And it was a picture. And there, it was basically two pieces of a picture put together. And, and, and on the top was a picture of a fingertip, as if it had just been dipped in sand really quick and brought out. 
And it was just showing the little few particles that had stuck to that finger. And it said, this life. And on the bottom, it showed a picture, a great panoramic view of the Mojave Desert. And it said, eternity. What kind of perspective can we get from that hopeful thought? A few particles of sand of this life compared to a desert full of joy with Christ. We are only on this earth for a second compared to eternity. James 4.14, you know this verse. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. He describes life as a mist. For some of us, some of us are more familiar with the word vapor. It's like steam from boiling water. It doesn't stick around, does it? It dissipates pretty quickly. We have no promise of tomorrow. We're not promised tomorrow. Our life is short and our life is fragile. But eternity is sure and it is forever. Listen to me. If you don't hear anything else I've said this morning, hear this. Do not lose heart in suffering as if God has left you or doesn't love you. Do not lose heart in suffering as if God has left you or doesn't love you. How can I say that? It hurts. Yes, I know. Because his promise is absolutely sure. What is that promise? Paul describes it this way in this verse. The glory that is to be revealed to us. There is absolutely going to be glory revealed to us who are in Christ when this life ends. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We will see our Savior face to face. It is a certainty. So many other religions, though, and cults, have a maybe in their afterlife. Maybe I've done enough to be reincarnated as something better. Or maybe I've meditated enough to reach nirvana. Maybe I've followed the rules enough to get my own planet to be the God of, as the Mormons believe. Maybe I'm one of the 144,000 that get to go to heaven, as the Jehovah's Witnesses believe. Or maybe the aliens will come and take me away from here. These are religions and beliefs that have maybe in their afterlife. There's no hope in that. Maybe I've done enough. Maybe I've meditated enough. Maybe I've uh, uh, prayed enough and, and followed these rules enough. Where is that hope for those who follow their beliefs? There's only one surety. 
Those not in Christ will suffer the wrath of God, unfortunately. And their only hope is the hope that they could find in Christ. The hope of the Christian. The hope of Christ and His atonement. There is no hope outside of that. So, unbeliever, I say, run to Christ. He is your only hope. Repent and trust in Him, for He is the only salvation available to you from your wicked ways. But listen, listen. Thanks be to God. Because there is no maybe in the hope we share as Christians. Thanks be to God for that. John 14 verses 1 through 3 says this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. What place has he prepared for us? A promise made before he went to the cross to establish that place for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9 says, But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. Understand this. We don't even have the capacity in our imaginations to come up with the glory which He has prepared for us. We don't even have it in our minds to understand it. Think of that. Think of the fact that it is absolutely unfathomable to think of what God has prepared for us through Christ. Thomas Watson said something else that I, that I think um, is, is so awesome because he's speaking of a place that far outweighs any circumstance of this earth. Any suffering we may face will eventually disappear from our minds. So as Thomas Watson thinks upon that, he describes it in this way. Heaven is the highest link of the saint's happiness. And there is no intermission in the joys of heaven. Think about that. You don't get a break from joy in heaven. You don't get a break. So there will be no expiration of them. It never ends. When God has once planted his saints in paradise, he will never transplant them. They will be forever with the Lord. It will not end. We will be with our Savior forever. And I want to leave you with this beautiful thought. Christian, you have a hope 
that is undeniable, unfathomable, unthinkable, and even unbelievable to us who have lived on this earth as we look around all the things around us. We see beauty here on this earth, but it pales in comparison. We may suffer on this earth, but it's not even worth comparing to the glory that awaits us. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. This is an absolute truth for you if you are in Christ. There's no doubt. There's no maybe. This is your hope. This is your inheritance as a son of God. And in that moment, when you see your God face to face and you know, I will forever be with my God and he will be my God and I will be his son forever. I promise you, there will be no more tears from your eyes because of the sufferings of this earth. All that won't even enter your mind. You'll never say, well, that time of financial hardship doesn't compare to this awesome glory that I see in heaven. You won't even think about that anymore. There's no comparison because all you will see is that forever, without break, without end, you will be in the presence of your God, worshiping your God, and he will be with you. No more sin. No more sickness, no more pain, no more anguish, no more loss, only joy unspeakable and full of glory, only a God who loved you enough to die, to set you free so that where he is, there you will be also. Let us pray. Father, we're in awe of your glory. Your majesty and beauty that we feel on this earth through the power of the Holy Spirit and the joys that we see around us and the blessings that you give us are, are, are beautiful. And the sufferings that we may go through are heavy. But God, we know this is only a taste. This is only a moment. This is only a, a breath, a vapor, a mist. And that one day, one day, the Son of God will appear 
with a shout. The trump of God and the voice of the archangel. And the dead in Christ shall rise. And we who are alive and remain won't hinder them, but we'll join them. And we'll ever be with you. And God, if we close our eyes on this earth before that moment, we know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And at those times, all the sufferings, all of the things that we've seen on this earth that, that make us sick and make us wonder what's going on will disappear. No more tears. No more pain. No more anguish. You are our inheritance. And your glory will surround us. We can't even begin to imagine what you have prepared for us. But we thank you for it. We lean upon you. We lean upon what Christ has done, not what we can do, but what Christ has done. Father, if there be any among us who are listening who have not repented and placed their trust in Christ, God, I ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to cut them to the heart, that they may not make another move in their lives without first repenting of their sin, which is much as ours are, and turning to Christ, who is their only hope. Sinner, run to Christ. He is your only hope. Cling to him, for he has made a promise to you. God, we thank you so much for your word and the glory of this and the peace and the joy that we can take in this, knowing that nothing that we endure can even come close to what you have prepared for us through Christ. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.